Amen. If you have a Bible, open up with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through uh, 15. As you're opening up there, let me just say how thankful I am for each of you here and uh, for your willingness to be here this weekend, this morning, uh, to worship the Lord. It's one of my favorite days of the year. I love Thanksgiving Day. The um, only thing I don't like about it is um, I have to compete to preach with the smell of lunch. And uh, that's a little bit of a challenge. And so um, don't worry, I will be gracious to you if I see you wiping drools. You're starting to salivate ready for lunch, I'll understand. You have your Bibles open there to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. If you would, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us, beginning in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Let's pray to God. Oh, Father, I ask if you would please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, I pray we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was growing up, our house was surrounded by farmland. And so every year I got to enjoy watching crops that had been planted by other folks uh, around our house grow and then it was around this time every year that we got close to harvest season. I love to sit out and watch uh, the crops be harvested. I love to see the machinery come through. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch something grow and then eventually be harvested. This continued for me when Whitney and I lived in Kentucky. We lived right outside Louisville, Kentucky and rural Kentucky on Knob Creek Road in Shepherdsville, Kentucky and all around the parsonage there and the church there where we served uh, was farmland, and many of my own church were farmers, and I used to be fascinated. I was a bona fide city slicker there, so it was really clear that I did not know what to do. Or I couldn't have real conversations with these folks who had farmed for most of their lives, but nonetheless, I would learn so much from them, and I loved, fascinated by farming and uh, by farm equipment and all those things, and so I would always just be fascinated to hear them talk about the way. When, sometimes when I would preach certain texts, especially I preached through the Psalms for a long time there on Sunday nights and um, never finished them, in fact. And uh, um, 
Y'all catch that later. Anyway, so, uh, so uh, they would come up to me and say, you know, I understand this text about the need for water or the dependence on God. I understand it better than you do. Because, um, they wouldn't say it quite like that, but they would get the gist across that because what they're saying is, I'm dependent every year on God sending rain, on God making these plants come up. When I put the seed in the ground... I don't know for sure. I'm going to do all that I can, but eventually, at some point or another, it's up to the Lord to make that happen. I I really do think, as in the modern world, we've gotten further and further. Our, Our living, and I don't mean just our making of a living, but our literal living has gotten some steps between the ground and us in a way that really very few generations in human history have ever been able to experience. I was reading just the other day where someone was talking about the fact that the king of France um, had an orangery, which is a, 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 a salon in his palace where he could grow oranges. So he could, have, he could move the orange trees inside in the winter and outside in the summer. And this is novel in human history because forever and ever and ever, to have an orange, you were dependent on seasonality. To have a tomato, you're dependent on seasonality. To have this or that, you're, even certain types of meat, you're dependent on seasonality. Now we just go down the street to the grocery store and get things that kings longed for hundreds of years ago. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to get a sense, to lose the sense, I mean, that all that we have is from the hand of God. There's nothing you have. Thursday, when you sit down, hopefully, by God's grace, to a plentiful meal, you know, unbelievable amounts of food. You sit down and you enjoy that. I hope you'll be reminded... I hope it's right there in the name of the holiday that we're here to give thanks to God, to be thankful. Obviously, one challenge in our society is more and more and more as we become more and more secular, people have lost a sense of who to be thankful to. But even for us, those of us who are Christians, we can get so caught up in working hard or worrying or making decisions or budgeting for Christmas or whatever else it is that might be on your mind financially right now, that perhaps we can forget that all that we have, God has provided. I love this text. I love this text because it taps into one of my favorite things I think about when I think about stewardship, when I think about giving to the Lord. It shows the reality in this text that God can take something as simple as a dollar, something as simple as a dollar, and by faith, He can translate that dollar into eternal significance, into spiritual realities. This text shows that as beautifully as any I know in the Bible. Paul's going to Corinth to collect an offering. These Corinthians had already filled out their commitment cards to help out. With, uh, with, to help out with an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. And so Paul is sending them a letter. Uh, my mic slipped out just a little bit there. That's okay. I know how to holler. Just let me know when to start. And uh, Paul's on his way to the Corinthians. He's talking to him about all sorts of things, but he's making sure 
that they know how to respond to God's provision in their lives, and he's making sure that they're prepared to give to this collection they've already committed to. Paul's shared the news with other folks. He doesn't want to embarrass them, doesn't want to embarrass the people that are traveling with him. And so he's going there, he's preparing them, and he's showing the Corinthians here at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 how they ought to respond to God's provision in their lives, all that God has provided. This morning, I'm going to show you five points, five truths. Changing it up a little bit, nobody likes comfortable Baptists, all right? So we're going from three to five points this morning. Five points this morning. You all are saying, ah, we like comfortable Baptists a lot. That's our favorite kind. You know what I mean. We're going to change it up just a little bit. I'm going to go fast. Five truths concerning God's provision and how we should respond as believers to the provision of God. And I think you'll see the way on a day we vote on our budget and on a day where we enjoy a Thanksgiving meal together and a day when we prepare to give thanks to God later this week in a, in a unique way for Thanksgiving, I think you'll see the way this text helps fit all these things so beautifully, the way that God has provided for us. And I hope you'll see how to respond to God's provision. Here's the first point this morning. God's provision leads I'm sorry, God's provision produces righteousness. God's provision produces righteousness. Notice what the Bible says. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower. I don't necessarily know if Paul's quoting this here, but this reminds me a little bit of, uh, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 50, when he's talking about the sower song there. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. That's God supplies these things for us. Like I mentioned a minute ago, we're, we're a little bit divorced from the land that God gave us to provide food for us in the modern world, but we recognize at the end of the day, it's not Publix or Johnson's or Winn-Dixie or wherever you go that provides food for you. And it's really, ultimately, not even simply the farmers who produce the food who produce food for you. It's God who gave us the means to produce food in the first place. It's God who gave us, gave us the land that bears the food. God is the one who provides seed for the sower and then, therefore, bread for food. And He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now here's the reality that Paul is um, explaining. Some of you may read this and say, well, is this some sort of a health, wealth, and prosperity uh, text? Well, I don't believe so, and I'll tell you why. Because if Paul was a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, he wouldn't bother going and getting money from the Corinthians for poor people in Jerusalem. He would just write the poor people in Jerusalem and tell them if they would sow into his ministry, he'll send them a blessing hanky back to Jerusalem. Now, it couldn't be blessed with water from Jerusalem because they've got plenty of that, but he had to come up with something else. And he would just send that back to them and teach them how to be rich on their own. But instead, Paul is going to wealthier cities like Corinth, and he is saying, God will provide for you. It's God who provides this. So he's saying, this is God will provide seed for the sower. I don't think all of this necessarily means that God's just going to simply increase their bottom line by the end of the fiscal year. I'm not saying God won't do that. God's probably done some of that for many of you today. What I, what I mean is, that what, and what I think Paul means here, is that God is going to increase the seed 
for sowing and bread for food, and he will supply your seed for sowing. I don't think he's only talking about money. I think that some of what he's talking about, because what he says then, it will increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is the point, I think, that Paul's making. That the reason why God sustains you, the reason why God provides for you, the, the, the reason why God gives you seed for sowing is to increase your righteousness, to help you grow in righteousness. You see, God sustains our lives in order that a harvest of righteousness might be produced in our lives. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you thought of the blessings God's given you in this way? Some of you right now are trying to figure out what to do with resources. Okay, what to do with resources. Now, some of you, it might simply be the $5 you had in your pocket for lunch this morning. And you realize, I don't need that anymore. So what am I going to do with that $5? You know, I have to figure that out. It's up to you. You decide. Some of you may have experienced some sort of a windfall in your life financially this year. I don't know. And you're trying to think through, okay, how can I leverage what God's given me financially, the blessings God's given me? How can I leverage that for His glory Others of you might be recently retired. Others of you might have just had a shift in life. Maybe you're recently empty nesters or something like that. And you say, all of a sudden, I've got some time. I've taken my nap that I promised myself. And now I've realized I need something to do. I've got the resource of time that I need to do something with. I, I want you to orient your resources, the seed that God's given you for sowing. I want you to think through, how can I use this? Okay, to produce righteousness in my life. How, how can I produce this? How can I use this to produce righteousness in my life? How can I take the influence, the blessings, the material possessions that I have in my life and use it to become more righteous? Because the reality is, more than likely, you're trying to think through how to develop joy or how to become more well-rounded or all sorts of different things to use those resources to do. But there is nothing that will benefit and bless your life and will result in more joy than focusing your resources on a harvest of righteousness in your life. That's what God gave you the seed for. Sow it accordingly. God's provision produces righteousness, but second of all, God's provision leads to generosity. God's provision leads to generosity. Y'all thought that would probably be the uh, first point because I'm a preacher, but it's the second point, right? Of course, we've got to talk about giving at some point. You will be, the Bible says, enriched in every way. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. This is one of the most beautiful things about the Bible to me. Is The, the Bible does not excise things from us. The, the, the Bible doesn't say those of you who have very, very little ought to have to give more than someone who has a whole lot. No, the Bible says, as you are enriched. In fact, the Old Testament concept of tithing kind of shows a percentage base. There's not a set fee. God doesn't say, it's this amount of money or you're not generous. No, as you are enriched, the Bible says, in every way, it's so that you can be generous in every way. 
Now listen, I hope it's so abundantly clear to you. I, I do hope and pray that, that the Lord has led you and that you see clearly in the Scriptures that it's wise and good for you to partner in gospel work through the local church. If you're a member here, I hope you do that through our church. I, that's my hope and my prayer. That's one reason why we vote on a budget. And we have very transparent finances and we try to make sure that the money that you give to the Lord through this church is focused on our mission. But the last thing I want you to think is that giving to this church is the only way you can be generous. Or just because you recognize I'm giving the right amount to my church every month, that necessarily means that you have a generous heart. I want you to think through that for just a moment. I don't mean to beat up on you, and I'm grateful for every single cent that the Lord leads anyone to give to the work that this church does. But at the same time, I want us to examine our hearts. Just a little earlier, Paul has this famous text about the Lord loving cheerful givers. I, I, I want you simply to remember this reality of God's blessing. As you are enriched in whatever way it may be that you're being enriched in, I hope and pray it will free you to be generous. It's a little sentence we say in our household sometimes. Whitney and I, I used to say it some and now sometimes I get miserly and Whitney has to say it back to me. It's just one of these sentences where we try to hold each other in check on this. We say, I'll never get mad about generosity. You just never get mad about generosity. It's just we've, we've just got a carte blanche in our house between Whitney and I and how we manage our finances that if it's an opportunity to be generous, we like to take it. We, we won't get mad about generosity. As God increases what you have, and it may not only be in finances, it may not ever be in finances for you, but as God increases what you have, think through and pray through ways to be generous. You will be enriched in every way to be generous, generous in every way. And that leads us to our third point this morning. When he says this, he says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God's provision produces righteousness. It leads to generosity. And then third of all, it multiplies thanksgiving. God's provision multiplies Thanksgiving. There's a sort of threefold multiplication that already begins here. Paul's already showing the way Thanksgiving is multiplied through God's provision and through God's and through the generosity of the saints here in these verses. Notice what the Bible says. It says, Through us, you being generous in every way, through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Then verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Do you see the way Paul is already demonstrating the way that thanksgivings are coming? The ROI of generosity to thanksgiving is, is, is in multipliers. It's exploding with thanksgiving. Simple generosity. This is what I mean when God can take a dollar and translate it into spiritual realities. Notice the way that, these, that God's provision results in thanksgiving. First, among Paul and his associates, they witness the generosity. It's one of my favorite things about being a pastor, is witnessing generosity. And uh, there's generosity that happens among God's people that's not reflected in the budget. It's not reflected in every ministry here. And I hate to tell you guys this, this is one of the perks of the job. Often I get a front row seat to it. 
Because sometimes somebody's trying not to let the right hand know what the left hand's doing, but they need some sort of an intermediary, and oftentimes it's me. And I can just tell you, I just sit down in my study, flabbergasted sometimes, by the generosity of the people of God. And just amazed. I thank God for it. So Paul, those who witness the generosity, get to see it, and it makes them thankful. It makes them thankful to God. And then you see thanksgiving from the saints who receive the generosity. Thanksgiving from the saints who receive the generosity. That is, God's provision is often distributed from one person to another. I don't know why God chooses to do it that way. I really don't. I don't know why God doesn't give each of His people a living stipend and everyone gets the same and that's how He does it. But even in this age, when Jesus has come, there are some Christians who have more and some Christians who have less. And I've gotten to see at times the way God has put on someone's heart to be generous to another believer. And I've seen the tears well up in people's eyes when they find out they're going to be able to have Christmas, when they didn't know they were going to be able to have Christmas, or when they're going to have something paid that they didn't think they would be able to have paid. And oftentimes, they neither party knew the other's needs or the other's haves or whatever, but God orchestrates it that way. And I suppose that part of the reason God does that is so that thanksgiving can be multiplied. So that we can all be reminded, those who have little and those who have a lot, we can all be reminded it's God who gives and God who supplies. And it's therefore good for us to share with others. It's so beautiful to see the way that the provision of God produces both generosity and gratitude. God has masterfully designed His world in such a way that as He provides good gifts to us, not only are our needs met, but also spiritual realities are produced in our hearts and lives. Gratitude is multiplied. God's provision multiplies thanksgiving. Fourth of all, God's provision glorifies God. God's provision glorifies God. Do you see verse 13? By their approval, that is the recipients of this collection, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Because of the submission to God. Do you see what Paul's saying? You're not submitting to me. And Paul could have said that. Paul, Paul could have said, I'm an apostle, and I'm telling you that God has said you ought to give money to the believers in Jerusalem who are poor. But he didn't do that. No, what he's saying here, he's highlighting, you are submitting to God in this because you believe the gospel. You are, you are doing this. You are submitting to God, not because I'm telling you to, not because man is telling you to, not because simply you think it's a good thing to do, but because you love and obey God. That's why you're doing this. It comes from your confession of the gospel and this generosity you have in your contribution is going to lead those who receive this to glorify God. This is a simple point. It's one you know already. When we give back out of what God has provided for us, God is glorified. God is glorified. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. One of the most beautiful things about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to me as a pastor, and in fact, on the hard days, you know, 
when I'm thinking, man, when I'm down, not on necessarily this church, but the church as a whole. You don't have to read too many headlines these days to sometimes maybe get a little down on the church, right guys? Just a little, man, what are we doing? But I want you to, I want to tell you something. I see the glory of God and the generosity of this people. I, I see the glory of God. I glorify God by the way He's transformed your lives to be generous in ways that to people who aren't Christians is often incomprehensible. It blows my mind. I, I mentioned this earlier, but it's worth saying again. God can take a dollar. God can take a dollar. Something that in other places the Bible calls filthy lucre, you know? It's a good old King James term. Ill-gotten gain, even. Some people, the same dollar, maybe, somebody could get in an ill-gotten way. Others might hoard, but a Christian by faith gives it away to someone else. And God is glorified in doing that. God can take a dollar and translate it into eternal glory. It's amazing. When you give to Lottie Moon, you know, and I, don't, I don't want every sermon on generosity to be like a commercial for giving to the church or giving to Lottie Moon. But I think about this, you know, at Christmas time, got three kids and sitting here thinking about Christmas budgets and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure everybody had a good Christmas and you're like, man, Lottie, why'd you have to get in on Christmas, you know? <laughs> now, I don't have a kid that's got a birthday in, you know, in March. That's, Annie's, Annie's getting going then. But, you know, you think about it, though, you, you're making that decision. Do I want to give to this or not, or whatever? And man, it blows my mind when we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that there's a strong chance that what little little bit we're able to give to that, somebody might use to live in a place like my best friend lives in Ghent, Belgium, with an IMB, and he's probably out somewhere this afternoon with a coffee cart. This is his free coffee that. Lottie Moon giving help pay for, and he'll have the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. And, and, and faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. And so they're out there, and there's a chance that the $5 that you gave to the Lottie Moon turns into a free cup of coffee in Belgium that results in eternal praise and glory unto God. It's amazing. It's amazing. And finally, fifth of all, God's provision highlights the gospel. God's provision highlights the gospel. I think you guys know I hate legalism. I hate legalism because legalism sends people to hell. Because it obscures and darkens a vision of the gospel of grace that's found only in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so often, when we talk about money... We talk about it like legalists. And so sometimes our talk about money can start to sort of dim our vision of the gospel. But as Paul's talking about generosity, he says three things here in this text that shows us so clearly that our generosity is born out of the gospel of grace that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Do you see what he says? He says this submission to God, it doesn't come because you say, well, I guess we better do something, you know. Because it's all sad commercial, so I better give something. No. This submission comes in verse 13 from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And it's a contribution for them and all others. And they long for you, he says, and pray for you. Why? Because of the surpassing 
grace of God upon you. That's the second thing. First of all, he says, you're doing this out of submission to God because of your confession of the gospel. And then he says, second of all, that they long for you and pray for you because they can see God's grace and they want a taste of that grace. So they're praying for you and longing for you to serve them in this way. And then Paul finishes this long passage on giving of all things, and he finishes it with a a burst of doxology, a burst of praise unto God. He culminates this talk about giving with a sentence about worship. He says, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Thus, Paul's tying all these threads together and saying, God has been so good to us, and He's been so good to you, and you, uh, not under compulsion, but willingly are giving to others who are in need. Oh, thank you, God, for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for what you've handed over to us. Do you see the design of God's provision? Do, do you see the way God has given to you? And it is not only to meet your needs, but praise be to God, it is to meet your need. But also it's there to produce righteousness in your life. God's provisions there to lead to generosity in your giving. God's provision is there to multiply thanksgiving in your heart and the heart of others. God provides for you and through that provision your heart and the hearts of others resounds with glory unto God. We glorify God because of it. And oh, my friends, more than anything else, God's provision for you is there to highlight the gospel. And when we start to get the gospel of grace, this glorious gift that God has given to us through Christ, when it starts to seep down into our hearts, then the gospel begins to be highlighted in our lives. And we start to see the way that the gospel produces fruit. And like Paul, we say, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It fills our hearts with joy. I think you see it. I think you see it so clearly. God gives seed for us to sow. He provides for us so bountifully. And it genuinely, beautifully, wonderfully, gloriously produces a harvest of righteousness in our lives. A harvest of righteousness all around us. What a beautiful thing it is to see it happen Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. This morning I want to offer an invitation. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, I want you to know that God's people are generous because God has been so generous and gracious to us. And so, if you want to know Jesus for the first time, I'd love to talk to you this morning and explain to you exactly how you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You may not need it explained. You may say right now, I believe Him, I trust Him, I want Him to be mine. You come tell me, we would love to rejoice with you this morning. Second of all, you may be a believer. and You may say, Pastor, I just need some time to pray. I need you to pray for me. Or you may just want to pray alone. You may want to grab a friend by the hand and have a moment to pray. Or you can do business with God right where you are. But just know I'm available if you need someone to talk to. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. It would be my joy to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.